Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Stand for our scripture reading. As some of you know, we're starting a new series today and our scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I don't know if there aren't Bibles, so maybe you have it memorized, but we'll go for it. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting, set, setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives By his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Fred McFeely Rogers is making quite a comeback in our day. We know him as Mr. Rogers, the zip up cardigan sweater and comfortable shoes guy. Captain Gentleness might be another way to refer to him. He died back in 2003. But there was an excellent documentary that came out in 2008 called Won't You Be My Neighbor, 2018, Won't You Be My Neighbor. And then this Thanksgiving, and I am uh, very, very excited about this, Tom Hanks stars in what looks like an exceptional movie called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I don't know all the particulars, but I believe the storyline involves, a true story, uh, involves a a reporter, cynical reporter, who kind of gets the vibe of who Mr. Rogers is and in his cynicism doesn't believe he can be what he purports to be through his various shows and the demeanor he has and the gentleness he has. So this reporter sets out to investigate and to write an article about Mr. Rogers, fully expecting he's going to find the truth and expose it through his reporting. I'm really excited about this movie, so excited. We want to show you the trailer of the movie as it's coming. 
Hey, I'm looking for Fred Rogers. In here. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. Mr. Rogers, I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. You okay? Profiling Mr. Rogers. Boyd, please don't ruin my childhood. This piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? We are trying to get the world positive ways of dealing with its feelings. Like what? There are many things you can do. You can play all the lowest keys on a piano at the same time. You love broken people like me. Sometimes we. Have to ask for help, and that's okay. I think the best thing we can do is to let people know that each one of them is precious. I watched that clip in my office yesterday. We showed it in the rehearsal before we had today's service, and I turned around and several people behind me. It does something to me. It piques a curiosity at the minimum. It taps into something I know I desperately need, and it taps into something desperately needed in today's world. It makes me want to see the movie. Fast forward the calendar to Thanksgiving, and keep all that in mind as we go through this. We just saw a trailer, and it intrigues. It gives us a glimpse of what this is about. It paints a picture. Of a different kind of way, and it calls out to us. Keep this in mind as we go through it. We'll come back to it later. I think one of the reasons Mr. Rogers is making such a comeback is because our culture is so volcanic. It seems to constantly boil with tension and hostility and anger. We are living in a me versus you and us versus them culture, where every issue. Every topic gets divided into those whose perspective aligns with ours, us, and those whose perspective differs from ours, them. And the volcano keeps gurgling and spitting out hostility and anger and vitriol. And we see it and we hear about it nearly every day 
in one form or another. And it seems to me the church as a whole, the big C church, local churches and individual Christians occasionally jump into these cultural conflicts by picking a side and defending a perspective with similar hostility and anger and disrespect toward the other. David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons, in a book that came out about 10 years ago called Unchristian, wrote these words. One of the surprising insights from our research is that the growing hostility toward Christians is very much a reflection of what outsiders feel they receive from believers. They say their aggression simply matches the oversized opinions and egos of Christians. One outsider put it this way. Most people I meet assume that Christian means very conservative, entrenched in their thinking, anti-gay, anti-choice, angry, violent, illogical empire builders. They want to convert everyone, and they generally cannot live peacefully with anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. Kinnaman and Lyons continue. We have become famous for what we oppose rather than for who we are for. Modern-day Christianity no longer seems Christian. That's a sobering statement. Modern-day Christianity no longer seems Christian. Other times, it seems to me, the church and the Christian community chooses to cover its eyes and avoid these cultural conflicts and tough discussions altogether, which I think is a fatal mistake. Well, we begin our fall series today, and as you know, we are calling it Pull Up a Chair And we're going to talk about some challenging cultural issues over the next several weeks. And it's important to say at the outset of this that at Oak Hills, we believe the church belongs right smack in the middle of the cultural and social issues of our time, no matter how contentious or combative they may be. We believe the kingdom of God is real and relevant to the issues of our time. And Jesus's kingdom way provides an alternative to the hostile and angry way these issues are typically navigated. We believe Jesus is king. Scott prayed about this a moment ago. We believe he is actually king. And where people are submitting to his reign and submitting to his rule, there is shalom. There is this outbreak of goodness, this flourishing. And we believe Jesus has much to say to us about the pressing issues in our culture. So things like violence and beauty and success and money and politics and social media and sexuality are profoundly spiritual matters. Back to Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers exemplifies a better way of dealing with difficult and contentious issues. And his way is really simple. Two chairs, as you can see. Sit down with a neighbor, face to face, whomever they might be. Treat them with dignity, whatever perspective they may have. Dialogue together and unwind the hostility and the anger. Even disagree and argue, but do so in a Christ-honoring and civil manner. So for the next several weeks, everybody bring your zip-up sweater and bring your comfortable shoes because we're going to talk about some contentious 
and difficult subjects. Now, I promise that there will be times in these next few weeks when I will say some things that you will probably find annoying. I might, I likely will, push some buttons. There will probably be times in this series as well when I will not say some things or I won't say them strong enough for your interests and you might be agitated by that or worried about me because of that or you might be thinking, man, he is really soft and he doesn't swing hard enough on these things. It's really important for me to say this at the outset of what is a very complicated and difficult series. I'm not any sort of expert on the issues we are exploring. Many of you know much more about the details and nuances of these cultural tensions that are all around us. I have my opinions, and I'm sure those opinions will occasionally be aired in the next several weeks. And I'm sure sometimes you will agree With my opinion, other times you won't, most of the time you won't care, and neither will I, because it's just my opinion. This is equally important. Our goal in wading into these complicated and controversial subjects is not to articulate a position or a policy on these issues. Our goal is not to antagonize or to provoke. Our goal is not to avoid antagonizing. Or provoking. Our goal is not to settle on the middle ground on every issue in the hopes of minimizing the agitation any one person or group experiences. Our goal in this series is to discern the ethics of Jesus' kingdom and apply those ethics to the volcanic issues facing us in these chaotic times and learn together how to incarnate the reality of Jesus' grace and love right in the midst of these cultural challenges. Our goal is to learn a little bit more about how to demonstrate God's good kingdom in the midst of a combative culture. How do we engage in these issues in ways that are consistent with the kingdom and contrary to the hostile and angry way typically utilized. And so we begin by pulling up a chair today and talking about the church. This is an attempt to introduce this series and to establish why we, as Oak Hills Church, are so important in this conversation about cultural issues. What is the role of a local church in today's contentious culture? What alternative does Oak Hills Church offer people living in an angry, hostile world? How do we at Oak Hills witness to the reality of the kingdom in these days of anger in which we live? Maybe to put it real simply, what is the church in today's culture? And I want to suggest we are three things. We are first a community of difference. D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T-S, not E N. Our scripture reading sets forth a rather remarkable transformation of identity for the Gentile Christians, that is, non-Jewish Christians, who were the primary recipients of the letter to the Ephesians. Let me reread the key section again. It's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking here about the Jews on one side and the Gentiles on the other. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Forever there had been a barrier between Jews and Gentiles, what's referred to here in this passage as a dividing wall of hostility. The actual word used is fence. So there'd been a huge fence between the Jews and the Gentiles, and this fence fostered animosity and hostility between the two groups. It nursed antagonism between them. The Jews believed they were the chosen people of God, and anyone who was not a Jew was on the other side of the fence. One commentator describes it as the Jewish people had contempt for the Gentiles and saw them frequently as less than human. And so the word that may be floating in your mind right now that perfectly describes this situation is the word racism. But now the writer of Ephesians tells us Jesus has made these two groups one by leveling the dividing fence of hostility through his life, death, and resurrection. His purpose, the writer tells us, was to create in himself one new humanity out of these two ethnic groups. His purpose was to reconcile both of them to God through the cross and reconcile them to each other eradicate the hostility between them. His purpose was to make peace, then, between people who thought differently, saw the world differently, felt the world differently, experienced the world differently, disagreed with each other, disliked each other, and had contempt for each other. And this new humanity Jesus sets about To create is what the New Testament calls the church. The fact of Jewish and Gentile hostilities was known to everyone. Had existed for eons. But now through Jesus' ministry of reconciliation, the church became a gathering where the hostility between Jews and Gentiles was replaced with a loving unity. And this transformation witnessed testified to the reality and power of the kingdom of God at work in the person of Jesus. One author and pastor I admire is fond of this phrase, the world runs on antagonism. Think of all the energy invested in the conflicts between 
opposing groups of people. In these antagonisms, just like the Jew and Gentile tension, fences get built, sides are taken, jerseys are chosen, and everything distills into who is in and who is out, the good people over on one side, the bad people over on the other side, and where there is this kind of antagonism, there's hostility and there is anger, and you know this as I do, this is the world we live in. Jesus was a conflict seeker. Because in the conflicts, in the tensions, he demonstrated his power and the new way of his kingdom. So he frequently walked into the middle of antagonisms with a vision of his kingdom intended to ease the hostility and anger and unwind the antagonism. He walked into the middle of the Jew and Gentile conflict and he brought peace where there had been strife. The two groups became one. He changed their identity. He changed their sociology. They were no longer ethnic adversaries. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a remarkable transformation. And the church today, we are supposed to be a gathering of those who are different in every way. The church, we are to be a gathering of unlikes. So that the presence of Jesus and the power of his kingdom is displayed in the way people who look or think or vote differently live together and relate to each other. Scott McKnight in a book called A Fellowship of Difference describes it this way. The church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. When this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed by God to be. The church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as a family. Let me translate that. The church, we are supposed to be the kingdom of God's two-minute movie trailer that people see and their curiosity is piqued and they want to see more. They want to check it out. So we are not together at Oak Hills because we all agree on everything. Our unity is not in our sameness. We are not held together as a church by what we agree on, but by the one we profess to follow. We are held together by our shared devotion and submission, key word, to Jesus as King. And this togetherness in Christ, in our differences, witnesses, testifies, points to, is a trailer of the power of the kingdom of God. Now, in a community of difference, people have different opinions, different political loyalties. There are economic differences, racial differences, age differences, sports teams differences, loudness of sound preferences, or one service gathering lunch or brunch preferences, and on and on we could go. And so there is occasionally conflict between people. But we enter into this. We embrace this. We actually welcome the conflict because it's in our differences and in the conflicts that Jesus shows up and manifests 
the reality of his kingdom and the power of his real presence. Secondly, we as a church in these contentious times are a community of kingdom citizens. As followers of Jesus, as Christian people, we are citizens of God's kingdom first and above all else. Citizens of God's kingdom. This is our identity above all other identities. This isn't supposed to be some empty platitude that gets muttered in church services. It's an identity-altering reality for everyone who claims to be Christian. See, something actually happened in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something actually happened when the Spirit of God grabbed a hold of our hearts and brought us to Christ. Something actually happened when we were baptized into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our identity was changed. In the words of our reading, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Words spoken to Gentiles. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, with the Jews and members of his household. He's talking about the church comprised of those who are different and really have no business being together. And they rise to become a home, a dwelling for the spirit of God. We are citizens of the kingdom being formed and shaped into a community led by, guided by, and ruled by King Jesus. Citizens of the kingdom, our identity, first and above all else. And citizens of the kingdom seek the king and follow his way. Being a citizen of the kingdom, then, is much different than having Jesus as the mascot of our favorite cause or political ideology. A very real temptation facing Christians and facing the church is to approach contentious and difficult issues in the exact same way those who claim no allegiance to Jesus approach them angrily, with hostility and contempt for the other, whoever the other may be. An insight of several wise thinkers and theologians is that the Christian community has been seduced into playing the culture's same power game in the same violent way. This is not the way of Jesus. And in this series, we're going to explore some big-time issues. Violence, success, beauty, politics, money, sexuality, and social media. And the question is, where do we begin the process of sorting out and framing our perspective on these issues? What shapes our perspective on these issues? Are we shaped by Scripture and by the example of Jesus? Or is the Bible merely a weapon we use to prove our point and reinforce what we already believe? 
And since I've mentioned already that this series will likely offend at various points, I might as well get started with it. I believe many Christians respectfully nod at the idea that their faith is to shape their perspective on cultural issues. Kind of a tip of the hat is given to the notion of being a kingdom citizen. Yep, yep, we agree, we are that. I think there's a respectful nod about those things. A tip of the hat. But really, primarily, the first love of many Christians is their political affiliation. They believe the challenges and the tensions of today's culture will primarily be resolved through political avenues and political solutions. Politics and faith, in other words, have been conflated in the hearts of many Christians. And actually, it looks more like this. Politics is the meta-narrative that overarches their existence and faith is a subset of that meta-narrative. As citizens of the kingdom, first and above all, I believe we are over-invested in political solutions. And this is why, when our particular political affiliations are at all questioned or challenged or invited graciously to be reconsidered, it stirs up the antagonism And it ignites our defensiveness and our anger. I think for many well-meaning Christians today, the idea that Jesus is king is a nice, warm sentiment. But in their mind anyway, it doesn't really have much to do with violence or success or beauty or politics or money or sexuality or social media. Jesus doesn't really have much to say about these modern problems and concerns. And so this really has to do with priority. The extent to which kingdom citizenship is any sort of meaningful guide in shaping our attitudes and perspectives on the various hot button issues in our culture. So what is the way of the kingdom in terms of the violence we see in our culture? As kingdom citizens... How do we handle money? As kingdom citizens, when there is conflict with someone in the church or outside the church, there's disagreement. How do we deal with this in a manner that reflects the grace and the forgiveness we have received from Jesus? Thank you. Was I giving off the idea that I needed water, sort of? Okay. Probably right. I'll submit to your leadership there. How do we deal with conflicts in a manner that reflects the grace and the forgiveness we've received from Jesus? How does a citizen of the kingdom respond to our president's policies and tactics? How does a citizen of the kingdom sort through the hyperfixation on beauty? in our culture, and on prolonging life? How does a citizen of the kingdom approach and navigate the minefield of sexuality? We're going to get into all this. But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 just gives us a starting point to think about. It's in Ephesians 4, 3, it's other places as well. These ideas, this posture, humility is one word there. Gentleness is one word there. Patience is a word there. 
Lastly, we as the church are a community of reconcilers in this contentious culture. Our reading says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And the word reconcile is important as we think about who we are as Oak Hills in this culture. And as we think about how we are to navigate these issues and tensions and conflicts, the church is a community of reconcilers. A gathering of those who were once far from God, but have experienced and continue to experience the reconciling power of his grace and of his love. See, we know what it is like to be on the outside. We know what it is like to be excluded. And we know what it is like to encounter the reconciling grace and mercy and love of God in Christ. And this just has to shape the way we enter the conflicts and tensions of our time. Jesus frequently stepped into the tension going on between angry religious people and world-renowned sinners. The woman caught in adultery, tax collectors he sat with, and so on. And he did this to dignify the sinner and to help the angry religious people see themselves and find themselves in the sinner. He wanted to loosen the tension, weaken the hostility, and unwind the antagonism between those who thought they were the us and those who knew they were the them. And so Jesus was a reconciling presence and his table, this table, is a visual reminder of his work to reconcile you and me and to reconcile us to each other. His table reminds us that Jesus knocks down fences and eradicates barriers between people and God and between different groups of people. And this absolutely has to shape our posture and our attitude toward one another and toward those in the culture who are not yet interested in submitting to the kingship of Jesus. Let me remind us all of something. If we are in Christ, then we are world-class sinners who have been reconciled by a very gracious God. How then should we be present in this culture? How do we embody God's kingdom in angry and tense and hostile and chaotic days? And again, those words, humility, gentleness, patience, a few other words, grace, love, truth, and hope. Well, let me wrap this up. What strikes me in this reading from Ephesians chapter 2 and in the New Testament teachings on the church is the importance of the church. The importance of gathering here and throughout the week in coffee shops and restaurants and homes. The importance of who we are as God's people. The character we demonstrate in our interactions with one another and with the world. In the New Testament, the church is a big deal. Not to build flashy programs, not to build a religious empire, but to incarnate the kingdom 
to a hurting and fractured and contentious world. As some have said, the role of the church is to show the world what the world can become if it will submit to Jesus the King. See, the church, we, Oak Hills, are to be a movie trailer of the kingdom of God. Where people see it. They see how we interact. They see us in our differences. Republicans and Democrats and African Americans and white and Asians. All together, young and old, male and female. Differences of every kind. Melding together. And we are a trailer of the kingdom of God. And the idea is, is that people will see that. They will experience it. When conflict erupts, we will go to them in gentleness and humility. And we will seek reconciliation as reconcilers. And the idea is that as we show what this movie of the kingdom is about, people will go, I want to see that. Really? That's what? Church is. I thought church was bigots and male domination and anger and hostility and screaming and yelling and who's right and who's wrong. And you're saying that the church is this gathering of people who are different and this guy, Jesus, somehow brings them together. I want to see more of that movie. I can't wait till Thanksgiving. I want to know more about that. Because that's tapping into something deep within. See, we, Oak Hills, have a responsibility in the conflicts and in the tensions of our culture to be a preview of the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom's movie trailer showing the world what it looks like when Jesus is allowed to reign in the hopes they will see it and want to see more. And I find that exhilarating. One of the reasons why church has fallen out of favor in today's culture is because the way the church and the way Christians have responded to things, people look at and go, that looks like an awful movie. I'm not going to that. Twelve bucks to go sit through that? No thanks. See, we have a responsibility to show the world the kingdom through the quality of our life together. Love, grace, forgiveness, working through conflict, face-to-face, practicing gentleness, being humble, being with those who are different than we are without needing to coerce them or convince them. We have a responsibility to discern the issues and challenges facing our community right here in the town of Folsom and the surrounding area. And then to step into those tensions and into those conflicts, and step into those antagonisms in the power of Jesus' presence and in the power of his kingdom, with confidence, he will do his work. In any case, this is our journey over the next several weeks together. So today we have the wonderful chance to sort of affirm our togetherness, affirm our love for each other, and affirm our oneness as a church by coming to the Lord's table. I mentioned this earlier, but originally the Lord's Supper or communion was part of a larger meal that Christians would have when they gathered together. They called it a love feast and they would eat together and laugh together and celebrate together. And then somewhere in the midst of that, the celebration of the table would happen. And this is how we're going to do this today.
Eating a meal together is a powerful way of being with each other and unwinding the tensions and getting to know each other. So the way it's going to work is we're going to have brunch and then at near the end of that, we're going to celebrate the table together. Let me say that again. We're going to eat and then we're going to celebrate communion together. By the way, the little bread on your table is not to add to your brunch. That's because you're going to... I suppose you could toast it, but you're going to have that and share that. So I encourage you, if you're one of the eat and run types, encourage you to fight that urge, uh, hang around, come back to your table, and we'll celebrate the table together. From what I understand, the meal is a French toast bake that apparently is loaded with sausage and I don't know what else. Uh, I think each slice that's been added up has 12 calories. In it, So it should be good. Um, what we'll do is in a moment, I'm going to pray and dismiss. You go out those doors. If you have children in any of the classrooms, go get them. Everybody come through that corner door there. And there are four stations. So if you're early in the line, the instinct is keep pushing forward. We'll get through really fast if we do it that way. So keep coming to these tables up here that makes room uh, in the back, you go down the line, there's a donation basket at the end of the table. If you can help defray the cost, we would appreciate that. And then somewhere in the next few minutes, as we are getting close to being done eating, we'll regather around our tables and we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. So let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the church, for one another, for this opportunity we have to feast together and to celebrate, to be in the midst of our conversations And uh, thank you for this food, the hard work that our kitchen team uh, put in to make it. And uh, we are grateful for the chance to celebrate. And we do so in Christ's name. Amen.